Hey, this is Evan Phillips from Anchorage, Alaska, and you're listening to Short Ropes on the Fern Line. Alaska, the highest concentration of big, remote mountains in North America. For generations, a unique group of climbers have tested themselves in these vast alpine arenas. The Chugach, St. Elias, the Hayes, Neocola, the Kachatnas, the Revelations. Their stories are etched on high alpine walls. Their visions follow lines of cold gray ice. What inspires them? What makes them come back? Who survives? Who suffers? These are the stories we'll tell on season one of The Fern Line. Hey friends, I'm Evan Phillips and you're listening to The Fern Line, a podcast about the lives of mountain climbers. On season one, I'm chatting with alpinists and other outdoor enthusiasts who are pushing the limits of what's possible in Alaska's mountains and beyond. My goal is to have meaningful conversations with an extraordinary group of people, the folks who choose to live full value lifestyles in one of the most beautiful and wild regions on the planet. Well, it's great to be back with you all today. Before we dig into today's episode, I just want to remind folks that if you enjoy what you hear on the Fern Line, please consider giving the show a review on iTunes or within your favorite podcast app. You can also help out just by telling people about the show. Tell your friends, tell your coworkers, people that you think might dig the Fern Line, let them know it's out there. But the big news today is that I just launched a Patreon page, and if you've never heard about it, Patreon is a simple way for you to contribute to the podcast each month in exchange for rewards and exclusive content. It's also a great way to support a show you care about and help it be sustainable from the ground up. Some of the benefits of becoming a Fernline patron include access to Beyond the Fernline, a monthly podcast where I'll discuss what's inspiring me, stories and tunes I'm working on, as well as other podcast-related beta. Other rewards include Fernline merchandise, digital downloads of original music I produce for the show, and much more. And to all my friends who are out there right now, sleeping in the desert, rock climbing 300 days a year, there's even a special level just for you. Go check it out. All right, so with that, it's time to grab your favorite beverage and get cozy on your couch or camp chair and settle in for this episode of The Fernline.
couple weeks ago, I was fortunate to sit down and have a conversation with outdoor educator and host of the Sharp End podcast, Ashley Soppy. We talked about balancing life on the road, her experience as an outward bound instructor, as well as the ins and outs of what it takes to produce a podcast about accidents in North American climbing. We started our conversation by talking about Ashley's upbringing in Alaska and how that influenced her eventual life in the mountains and the outdoors. here in Alaska and my dad was also born and raised in Alaska before it was a state when it was just a territory so that's I think that's pretty neat we have major roots here yeah he, he used to be an extreme skier and so he would take all of us kids up to Alaska every single weekend in the winter and sometimes he'd even take us out of school on Fridays so he can go ski <laughs> um, so I grew up skiing pretty hard and then in the summertime we have property out at Big Lake, and so we would just spend the summers out at Big Lake. And so I spent most of my childhood up until maybe I was 16 outside. So as far as um, like mountain climbing and all that kind of stuff, how did you first get exposed to that? Well, nobody in my family are there. Nobody's really a mountain climber in my family. So I would say... I kind of got into it because it was the only place that I could sort of escape to. I went to military school when I was 16. And then upon graduating military school, um, I received a four-year scholarship to Sheldon Jackson College in Sitka, which is on Baranoff Island in Southeast Alaska. And I had no idea what this school was or that it even existed, <laughs> but I had a four-year scholarship to it. So, um, I guess I couldn't pass that up because my family, we were pretty poor and there's no way that my family was putting me through college. So if I wanted to go to college, I had to make it happen. So I couldn't refuse a four-year scholarship. So I went to college when I was 17 in, in Sitka. You have these huge mountains that cascade right into the ocean, sort of like Seward, you know, um, it, unreal. And so... You don't really have anywhere to go besides beach or mountain. And so I just went up and I started climbing mountains when I was in college. Cool. When you were getting into that, like, was there, was there a time when you were like, oh man, this is, you know, incredible or this feels great. Was there like a light bulb moment? I don't think so for me. It just became a, it just became something that I did. I don't really remember ever having an aha moment though throughout just, I either did school or I was climbing mountains and I was exploring and I was getting lost and I was getting found. And, um, yeah, just something that I did. Okay. It seems like you really like snowboarding. Uh, and it seems like you're, you're into climbing and doing mountain sports in general. As far as climbing goes, um, how, how does that fit into your life? I got really into it when I was, uh, 20, 21 and pretty much didn't stop for 
six years straight. I'm just curious for myself, what's your favorite place to go rock climbing? The City of Rocks. It's my favorite cragging spot. And, and then the Tetons are amazing. You know, my favorite climb I've ever done was um, Irene Zaret on Disappointment Peak in the mm -hmm. Tetons. That was unreal. So incredible. And then the Wind Rivers are obviously amazing. Going hiking in there from Big Sandy and camping out under some boulders and yeah. climbing Pingora. You like going into places where you can do like wilderness rock climbing? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I like I like long approaches. Yeah. Um, I like being self-sufficient. And if you don't have it, you don't need it. I think that's an Alaskan thing. Yeah, I think so too, because it's definitely hard finding partners for those adventures. Yeah. People want to be closer to home generally, or at least close to a car. And I just like being self-sufficient. And if you forget it, too bad. You make it work. You end up being resourceful and then you become a stronger person. Yeah. How long have you worked for Outward Bound? I've worked, I can't remember, I, seven or eight years. <laughs> yeah. And how did you get involved with teaching at Outward Bound? Well, when I was graduating college, I actually uh, did a year of AmeriCorps after I graduated. And that was really amazing. And I started um, a program called the Ocean Enrichment Program, with, which is K through second graders sort of doing hands-on nature education. Um, specifically relating to the ocean in Juneau, Alaska. And that program is still running today, which is pretty cool. But then after that year, for me, it was either Knowles or it was Outward Bound. And I did a lot of extensive research on what school I resonated with most. And although I really love uh, Knowles and one day would love to work some courses for them, um, really resonate with the Outward Bound values. Um, so I decided to apply for their internship program in Colorado and with the dream and goal of working mountaineering courses in Alaska. But that first year that I signed up to work for Outward Bound, they closed the Alaska Base Camp. Um, so it went under. So that dream sort of ended right off the bat. Yeah. Um, and then I've just been working really hard to get the Alaska Base Camp back open. And we have been running courses up here for the last four years. So that's really cool. It's a remote base camp. The first year we did it, it was out of my RV that I bought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I really do love Our Bound and the mission and the, and the values and the students. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Changing lives through challenge and discovery. And that's exactly what we do. That's sort of like the overarching theme is compassion. And I like am a firm believer of that. I feel like... If everybody is more compassionate, then the world would just be generally a much better place to live in. I'm sure there's like a bunch of like examples, but what do you, do you have, is there uh, one specific story maybe that, that pops out for you that why that's, uh, why being an outward bound instructor is re rewarding for you? There are lots of stories. <laughs> Reason, one of the reasons why I keep coming back is the community, of course, but another one is um, how far I'm able to push myself physically, mentally, and emotionally. There was one time two summers ago here in Alaska, I was running a 22-day mountaineering course on the Kenai, and we were back 
by Mount Adair and we were camped there. It was very, very, very foggy and we were supposed to move camp. Well, we had a student who needed to leave the course. So I was going to hike her out um, to the course director at the trailhead and then um, run back in to meet my group. So um, I hike 11 miles on a compass bearing and then pass her off and it's it's pouring down rain and it's so foggy and you can only see, the viz is maybe only 100 feet or so. So I decide, well, hiking out is one thing, but hiking back up into the mountains, this foggy on a compass bearing is another by myself. So I'm gonna just wait it out and hike in in the morning. So then my group called me in on the sat phone and I, can't, I gave them my plan. And the next morning I wake up and I run in and I, it's super fun. It's, it's still downpouring. It was one of the biggest storms we had had all summer long. I remember a boat sank in the bearing that summer. So it was a pretty gnarly storm. And I ran in and it was super fun, just running at my own pace, being solo. And I was going to meet my group at a location that we had agreed on. And I arrived and they weren't there. So I said, hmm, okay, well, maybe I'll just get up on top of this knoll and look north for them. And maybe, you know, if I get on top of this knoll, I can see this valley, this valley, and this valley and I might be able to have a good view of where they're at. So I try and climb up this knoll and I see a bear. And great, so there's a bear there, it's fine, I have bear deterrent. It's an incredible looking bear. It's a grizzly and it's, it's sort of reddish blonde and it's super windy outside so you can see the fur sort of like move along its side. I mean, it was really majestic. Yeah. And, I, and I saw it and, and I didn't know for sure if it had seen me or not, but I assumed it, it could either smell me or see me or... So I adjust my plan and I go around the knoll um, to give the bear its face. Well, upon going around it, it decides to come down and charge me. So here I am, soaking wet to the bone, uh, minimal gear because I had run in and facing north the bear had charged me from the north the wind was coming from the north so my my bear deterrent was virtually useless because if i was to spray it it would have just hit me in the face or it made me taste like cayenne pepper for dinner and it false charged me so it stopped about 15 feet away from me and i just got really big talked in a monotone voice really loudly stepping back stepping back stepping back until i couldn't see it anymore and then i turned around and ran all the way back to the trailhead. So I ended up hiking 32 miles <laughs> in 13 hours that day. Wow. And when I, well, there's one spot on the Lost Lake Trail where you can get one bar of cell phone service. So, and I had my co-instructor's cell phone from the day before from hiking that student out as for comms. So I called the course director with one bar, 13% left with a wet phone. Yeah. Hey, pick me up at the trailhead. I'm, I'm alive, I just need help. And then my, the phone died. Like how perfect is that? Yeah, you lucked out. I lucked out. So then I run to the trailhead and the moment that I hear his voice, I keep it together, keep it together, keep it together. And then when he rounds the corner, 
I see him and I just start bawling, <laughs> just sobbing yeah. and didn't realize that I had been affected that much. I just thought, hey, this is happening. I need to get out of here. But then when I had a moment to collect myself, I just lost it. Then I spent three days out of the field. My feet were so swollen and tender to the touch, like a really bad case of chillblains. I couldn't walk. They were so hammered um, and my feet are still a bit, um, sometimes they get too wet or too cold, they get, they suffer a little bit, but yeah, that was definitely an experience. And like what I learned from that was how far I can go, how far my body can go. And when you're in survival mode, you, nothing hurts. You are like a warrior princess. Yeah. You just do what needs to be done. And then, you know, it's like you, you turn off certain feelings and emotions and experiences. Like I didn't feel my feet until I needed to, you know, like the next day yeah. when I couldn't realize I couldn't walk. So I had to spend the whole rest of the summer out of the field, couldn't finish courses, and I just had to heal. Maybe for you, it sounds like being in that outward bound environment again is, um, it sounds like that's the place for you to be, for sure. Uh, it's all about learning about yourself and um, sounds like being able to learn how to deal with adversity, honestly. Oh yeah, <laughs> that is definitely one of the main points of topic. Yeah. Tenacity and pursuit, enterprise and curiosity, indefatigable spirit. It's like all those, those are a few of the more about of the values. And yeah. that's what you as an instructor, if you were going to make your students, you know, meet you at this bar that you're going to set by holding them accountable to these values of the school, then you as an instructor also need to be really striving for excellence in those values. And like, you can't be an instructor and half-ass those things. Yeah. At least not in my eyes. And yeah. you know, that's what makes us such good instructors is by like striving for the best. And then your students also sort of want to meet you there because if you, if your bar is low, then your students are only going to meet you just below your bar. So if you keep your bar really high, then, you know, they may not ever meet you to your bar, but they can at least get close. Yeah. Uh, it looks like you have set your life up to basically have kind of a lifestyle that revolves around working and living and being in the outdoors. Like what does a year in Ashley's life look like? So yeah, so this fall for two months, I am the West Coast sort of North America tour manager of apps and films snowboard premiere that comes out every fall. So that's two months. And that goes from, you know, like mid-August, all of September, all of October. Then I spend from October, usually November-ish to January, usually out of the country. Or the last two years, I've spent it in Salt Lake ski touring um, in the Wasatch, which has been super fun. And are you working or are you playing? Oh, playing. Um, yeah, October, November-ish to, to January is usually my personal time. So I don't, I try not to do really anything in that time, <laughs> except for play. Cool. And then, yeah, and then February to early May, I fly back home to Alaska. Um, and I have a bus that I is parked down by the river <laughs> in 35 miles outside of Haines, Alaska, five miles from the Canadian border. 
and I live out of my bus. I've got a wood stove. It's super adorable. I have two snow machines, a couple kayaks and a bike, and I just live out of my bus and dispatch for a heliski company. Cool. And if shit hits the fan, you can just slip right into Canada. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I've got it all planned out. Um, then May comes around and this heli season sort of dies out. Then I start the hour bound season. So I usually have May to, to fly back to the States somewhere and maybe do a, three weeks of climbing, um, get my body warmed up again, maybe go to the desert. And then I start work with hour bound late May, early June for all the way through August. Well, that sounds like a great life to me. It's um, pretty fun. Yeah. It sounds busy. Yeah. But in some ways it also sounds simple. Um, so the one thing that we haven't talked about is throughout this whole thing, you have this podcast you do. Um, so how long have you been doing the sharpened? Uh, I just finished editing the 20th episode yesterday. So yeah. 20 months. Okay. What made you decide I want to do this podcast and how did, how did it all come about for you? I, well, again, I really love, loved, um, I still love it climbing, but I'm less obsessed now, I guess. And I love wilderness medicine. So I'm always seeking to learn sort of enterprising curiosity and learning from other people's mistakes and learning from my own mistakes. And so those books that the American Alpine Club puts out, Accidents in North American Climbing, um, I love those books. So you can't really read and drive and being on the road all the time. You know, when I'm in the States, I have a van that I live in in the States. So I just want those those books and, and those stories in that book to come alive. But I don't often have a passenger to read me the stories, uh, especially when you're going from climbing area to climbing area. I want to read those stories in those moments on those road trips, you know so I can learn from people's mistakes before I go climbing. And so I don't do what they did, but that didn't exist. There, weren't, there wasn't a podcast that existed like that. So I called up the editor of the book, Accidents, and I said, hi, I'm Ashley. I have this idea you know, of making these stories that you have in this book come alive, where I would interview people involved in the incidents. And Dougald, his name is Dougald, he said, huh, who are you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he chatted, chatted it over with his people and they got back to me and they said, sure. Um, cool. Why don't you just go for it and we'll see how it sounds. And and I had I'd maybe listened to five podcasts before in my entire life. I think maybe five episodes of the Dirtbag Diaries, you know? <laughs> and uh, so I had no idea what I was doing. And then all of a sudden I'm on episode 20. So yeah. they seem to like it and listeners seem to really like it. And um, have a few sponsors now, which has been really cool. It sounds like the, the education component is what's really driving it for you. Yeah, that's, yeah, that is the only thing that's driving it is all I want is to minimize incidents. And if we can minimize incidents with 18,000 listens an episode a month, yeah. that's 18,000 people that are listening that hopefully I'm helping. Yeah. And that means the world to me, you yeah. know. Where do you see yourself going with the podcast? Well, I hope it makes me rich and famous. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's not a joke. I'm totally serious. Uh, okay. That's really <laughs> and then I can funny. buy my dad that yacht I've been promising him for yeah. 15 years. Um, I, I hope that I s help save lives and I hope that I minimize incidents. And so, you know, I hope that it grows. Yeah. But it doesn't grow too big, but it grows. Yeah. Having done this now for 20 episodes, like, do you do you have, like, a sense of responsibility that you need to keep doing it? <laughs> yeah, I do. And and to... Because I want to listen to these shows. Yeah. I, I want to hear... I want to hear the interviews. And I don't really listen to my podcasts after I've listened to them 50 times during the editing process. But... But it's fun for me to get the interview and hear these stories that people are... Th this happened to real people. Like your brother, my my sister, you know, my boyfriend's friend, whatever. It, they happen to real people. Yeah. And and I've interviewed some some people who have been... Who have done body recoveries, you know? So it's for real. And it's... And I feel like this is a really important thing to be able to offer our climate community because I have gotten emails saying, hey, I was going climbing with my partner and we listened to episode four on the way and we had no idea we were supposed to tie knots at the end of our ropes. And I, I'm pretty sure you saved our lives. Yeah, you know? that's incredible. And okay, that's, that is why I struggle through yeah. this process every yeah. month. That's, that makes it worth all the time that I pour into this. I am a traveler at the speed of light. I don't know where I'll be sleeping tonight. But if you see me, won't you please shine your light? I'm just a boy. All right, well, thanks for hanging out with me today. I hope you got as much out of Ashley's stories as I did, and I hope you can apply some of her alpine wisdom to your next trip in the mountains. Don't forget to check out The Fernline on Patreon, and don't forget to leave a review on iTunes or within your favorite podcast app. And finally, if you enjoy the tunes you hear, you can check out more of my music on Bandcamp, iTunes, Spotify, and evanphillips.net. Until next time, I'm Evan Phillips, and this is The Fernline. Not enough gas Too many losers I gotta get past Too many addicts Living too fast and going nowhere She was a poet and a writer of songs Stuck in the middle of a world gone wrong Never going where she could belong But where she was chosen I wish that we could go back in time We were young and we were feeling alright I could hold you and you'd still be mine for a while fools and not enough gold too many people that do what they're told too many faces never get to grow old and i wonder 
I wish that we could go back in time We were young and we were feeling alright I could hold her and she'd still be mine for a while But the days turned to rain And I just smile and refrain She just called me insane But I just wasn't listening She said you're just not listening You're not even listening 